0: Hello, I am Eric, the Associate Horror Editor for Catholic Reads, and this is Catholic Reads' first live interview. We've got an exclusive interview with author Declan Finn today, and he is the author of Love at First Bite, which is a series of books featuring, amongst other things, a Catholic vampire. So if you've ever wondered how on earth that's going to work, you are definitely in the right place. Now you can follow me at uh, Gingerman Editorial on Twitter, and you can also go to the Catholic Reads channel on YouTube. Feel free to uh, pop into the chat, ask any questions, and we'll relay them and try to get them answered. So, uh, Declan, first, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, you're very welcome. I've been looking forward to uh, getting this going for a while now. I'm glad we could set of date and everything uh, that coincides pretty well with the uh, forthcoming relaunch of your books and also uh, before you launch into that um, where can people find you over there on the interwebs
1: well you can find me at declanfincom that's my blog um, it usually goes under the it usually comes up as a pious geek uh, because one of my first series was the pious trilogy which is a very long story and that can happen later. Um, you can find me there you can find me on Facebook I've got three different pages one is a straight up author page where you can find most of my stuff um, I also have a podcast called The Catholic Geek which has been on hiatus for a little bit but will be coming back sooner rather than later um, oh yes I post blogs at superversivesf.org on WordPress as well as the Catholic geeks also on WordPress. And most right. my old books are on Amazon.
0: And so basically you can be found in a lot of different places.
1: <laughs> Pretty much type in Declan Finn. I'll probably pop up sooner rather than later.
0: Awesome. So you're, you're a serious love at first bite that was originally just published just strictly independently self-published on Amazon. Is that correct?
1: Oh, um, Okay, the story with Love at First Bite is a little complicated mm-hmm. because I originally had a publisher. Okay. Um, then my then Honor at Stake, book one, got nominated for the, Dragon, the first annual Dragon Award in Best Horror. And I said, okay, guys, can we move this up a little faster? It's like, no, we'll take our time. Okay, <laughs> fine. I'd like my rights back now. And I got out while the getting was good because I only just heard... That the publisher, which was called Damnation Press, honest, <laughs> went out of business last year.
0: Oh, yeah, you did you got out just
1: in time. Oh yeah. So this book has gone from being in small press published to in, to self-published. Now that I'm with Silver Empire Press, it's back to independent press published.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Oh hey, that's awesome. And the each book is, get, is they're getting released about one a month, is that correct?
1: Yes, once a month. Uh, all four books will be out by September. Awesome.
0: And I of course I've read them I've read them all from the self-published versions and uh, I th- I thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, it was definitely a different take on vampires than certainly what the modern reader is going to be used to because in many ways it's a traditional take on vampires with a little bit of a twist feel free to elaborate
1: okay you're going to have to say that again because you kind of broke up here and there i heard ah. traditional take on vampires and lost the rest of the sentence
0: ah sorry uh is is a traditional take on vampires but there is one little twist
1: yes um the traditional take on vampires which bram stoker's dracula straight up uh i always had one slight problem with Mm -hmm. and it's if you could turn into a vampire you are automatically pure evil which always struck me as kind of odd because there's a called free will last time Mm -hmm. i checked now the only two people i if i recall correctly only two who really noted this what and addressed it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show directly said when somebody becomes a vampire, he gets possessed by a carbon copy of a demon. Okay, fine. And Larry Correa, with his Monster Hunter International books, pretty much made the same modification. Now, if this popped up in Dracula, I honestly don't recall it. But my fig- I figured, okay, fine. How do you keep free will and all the various and sundry things that work against Dracula? Mm -hmm. Because, let's face it, if you're going, I cannot abide any of these vampire mythologies. Think (laughs) the original Blade movies, for example. where We're going to have a supernatural threat, but we can't have any religious or supernatural counters to the threat. How does that work exactly? <laughs> now, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I basically took a little bit of uh, Aristotle, a little bit of Thomas Aquinas, because uh, I have a degree in history and philosophy. So what I did was I, I, I took from Aristotle, Aquinas, and a little bit from a video game called Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, <laughs> uh, where, right, okay. The further along you are formed mm-hmm. the, the more you as a person are formed mm-hmm. and since you have the vampire as well if it's undead let's call it a post-resurrection or imperfect resurrection where even aquinas noted after the resurrection the body and soul are going to be intermingled mm-hmm. So. Gee, the better a person is or the worse a person is, the more the soul is going and the body are going to integrate kind of like the picture of Dorian Gray only on flesh. Mm -hmm. So if you're an evil sucker, religious artifacts are not going to be your friend. (laughs) And even if you are a a, quote unquote good vampire, it would help to go to confession a lot. Right. But right. Um, yeah, and, and I figure that vampires are going to fall into largely two groups. Mm-hmm. One, I am now a superpowered fiend. I can do whatever I want. Welcome to original sin, and they're going to become serial killers with with fangs. Oh yeah, and supernatural abilities. And they're going to be a good chunk of them. Not a whole heck of a lot, but a good chunk. Who would just like to be left alone and get on with their afterlife, such as it is. Right. But that's why I have a vampire who, well, a lot of her blood intake comes from the chalice. <laughs> I, I loved
0: that. I love that innovation. I thought that was great, uh, the way you did that. And it's also interesting to me that the, the whole impetus for this this rather extensive world building you did was based on the question of free will uh, I find that fascinating and then yes, how that winds up manifesting. Hey, you know what we're taking religious We're taking religious things seriously in this series. So What's the blood? What's a safe source of blood? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously straight from the chalice at mass. It's like that as soon as I read that I was like, huh? that is perfectly logical <laughs> <laughs> and, but I've literally, literally but, never geez. seen or heard of it done. But, it's never even come up in conversation. Which now that I see it, actually baffles
1: me a little. <laughs> wait, what? I'm sorry. Which part baffles you a little? Uh, the
0: the fact the fact that that's, that that concept has never even come up in conversation for me is
1: yeah, slightly baffling. But let's face it. <laughs> yeah, but let's face it. Most people are going to look at it. Most people look at it from Vampire equal automatically evil, and under that rubric, Mm -hmm. the blood from the chalice should basically work like acid. Um, I've I I have seen it used one other one other time. Oh, really? One other. Um, James Rollins did a vampire series. Um, now James Rollins usually does thrillers and cutting edge sci-fi. Okay. He did a trilogy with a Rebecca Cantrell where one of our protagonists was a Monsignor who was a vampire who also took from the chalice. Oh, okay. (laughs) And again, he's one of the few people I've seen do it as well. Now, granted, I wrote, wrote the series... Fifteen years ago. So, if you want to go into who got there first, I did. He published them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but no, that's uh, that's really cool. That one. It's nice. It's just refreshing to see uh, the religious artifacts and uh, everything taken seriously in a vampire novel once again, and and then to see it like pushed. I would say pushed to the next level. <laughs> Especially since uh it your other main character, uh Marco, uh a rather clever fellow. I quickly came to think of him as Batman as a vampire hunter. And, <laughs> Not and uh too far off, really. I right. to think of it. <laughs> and you know how he how he quickly deduces all of this and uses it. All as well, actual physical spiritual warfare, warfare as you put it, uh, spiritual warfare with bullets, real ones. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. the uh, like, like the wooden damp, the, the wooden uh, bullets that get used. I'm like, ah, eh, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> Wait, which part made sense? Sorry, you broke the- up.
0: I'm sorry our connection must not be the greatest. Um the the wooden bullets.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I actually tripped Yeah, I actually tripped over those by complete accident learning that there were World War 1 German practice rounds. Where it's huh. Yeah, sure. Open fire. <laughs> it's like okay. Cool. I can work with this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've got a use for this right now <laughs> yeah. no I thought I, that, that was uh, that, that was pretty clever too I thought it's like oh yeah little stakes why not <laughs> so I, I'm sort of curious where did where did Marco come from and first of all I'll let me compliment you um, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it but though the, the lead into Marco was a good bit of misdirection <laughs>
1: Thank you. Uh, no, I. Marco started as a bit character
0: mm-hmm.
1: because originally um, everything with Marco and Amanda was going to be a subplot. And all four of these books were one massive novel. Mm-hmm. And it followed a uh, government agent who specializes in the strange named Merle who does show up in the book still. Mm-hmm. And with Marco, how do I put this? I have always wanted a character who is not the whiny, self-possessed oh my god, you know, I killed somebody, you oh, I feel horrible. And uh, my first thought is Because you look at George Washington, Winston Churchill, a lot of people who have been in combat talk about how exhilarating it is. Still horrible, but quite exhilarating. Mm -hmm. And nobody has ever just said, this SOB tried to kill me. I got him first. What's the problem with this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah became that character and i just But with most of my characters i just wind them up and let them go i build their biographies with certain character attributes Mm -hmm. then i let them play Uh, most of them take on a life of their own Uh, it's one of the reasons why i rarely outline because it's yes i have this beautifully constructed plot then my characters decide to go this way and do something completely different. <laughs> but, so Marco was very much like one of that. And I had to reconcile his general attitude towards things. Uh, try not to give any spoilers. With a world in which, yes, we've got the devout Catholics. And being devout is kind of a good Self-defense system, really, especially with the vampires running around. Right.
0: Yeah, ha- having having a rosary on hand is a pretty good thing to do in in, in your series.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the short version.
0: <laughs> not, not just spiritual defense, but flat on uh, physical defense.
1: <laughs> yeah, after a while, there were people going. So, how many ways do you plan to kill people with rosaries? It's like I can't kill that many, honest.
0: <laughs> no, it really wasn't that that, that many, really. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a good it's a good thing Marco invests in the uh, in in the stronger variety.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, hey, I I, I kind of base Marco's uh, multiple rosaries off of. the ones i wind up getting in the mail it's like here have a free rosary again i'll put it with the other
0: (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah i i kid you not i literally have hanging up hanging up right here a collection of rosaries that just ones that come in the mail ones that the kids break uh (laughs) it's yeah there's there's a good somewhere between half and a full dozen just sitting right there (laughs) i believe it (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's just, I'll, I'll fix them eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll get hung right back up. But yeah, that actually, again, makes perfect sense. Cause yeah, Marco would, would, would get a lot of those in the mail. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yes. And as you said, there are elements of Batman to him, but then again, it's Marco is as close as we're getting to normal in this series. <laughs> Yes. And it's, yes, and how fast can vampires move? Well, in a night blade, they can go from here to right in front of you. So he he's either prepared or he's dead.
0: <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. So he, he's prepared literally all the time. And, of course, his intelligence comes into play with not just being prepared, but with uh, how he fights. I like the, uh, the term, uh, the con... Combat chess that you used to basically describe yes. how he fights, just analyzing it. Yes. So, what's most likely?
1: Oh yes, and I was actually—you have no idea how pleased I was when somebody used it for Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes. It's like, yes, this is pretty much how I thought. Geniuses of that level should be able to fight.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually uh, really. I didn't make that connection when I was. Reading it, but yeah, you bring it up. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, it makes me think of—I uh, don't know if you ever read the Authority uh, comic book series, but character in that, the Midnighter, who is essentially a takeoff of Batman. He before every fight, he he can essentially analyze the person he's about to fight in his mind. In see all the moves that they're likely to make, all the counter moves and where to hit them, where not to. It's the same sort of thing. Ne- it's never really given a name, but it's it's the same sort of thing.
1: <laughs> mm. But yeah, combat chess is as closest I come to accurately describing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that it, uh, it it fits. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I I believe um from reading a little bit of your bio that that's uh probably his fighting style and everything is informed a bit by your own experience as well. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Um, Marco generally practices something called Krav Maga. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is not simply speaking a martial art. It is a self system mm-hmm. dev- designed by the Israeli military. And I want to say it goes back to 48 where it was, purely practical fighting and it's yes we have defenses against knives defenses against defenses against guns what to do when you take the gun away from the other guy and that sort of thing right and believe it or not um well the first level starts with simple practical stuff Mm -hmm. uh somebody defenses against chokes headlocks and you practice Throat mm-hmm. strikes, eye touches, and, you know, something Marco can't do, but I can, uh, since Marco is dealing with vampires, I there have been one or two occasions where I have bitten the other guy on the mat.
0: And, <laughs> that's, getting, that's getting into it there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you have to realize the mindset of a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. When I did that and they said, you know, that was a really good move. It's like yep, welcome to Krav
0: Maga. <laughs> yeah, I've uh I have, I actually had training in, in Krav as well a few years ago. My instructor was a old, was a marine recon guy who learned it from the Israelis. <laughs> we never bit anybody on the mat though, so you got you got me beat there. <laughs> <laughs> and, but yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I read it I was like, "Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, so I totally recognize this mindset." <laughs> it's a it's it's not pretty it's definitely not pretty it's not for the faint of heart and if you are practicing it and if you if you're trying to practice it halfway decent you're going to get hurt.
1: <laughs> oh definitely. But that's half the fun. <laughs> definitely. I've never seen anyone really I think the worst I ever got was a sprained ankle. Okay, I've had two sprained ankles and I sprained one of them twice, but aside from that <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I only broke one guy. I only broke one guy's nose. So ah, okay. <laughs> that was that was totally an accident. <laughs> yeah, they that that, that that was that was fun. We were doing um, uh, we were doing gun disarmament drills, and I you, I've, I I was actually having a hard time getting it away getting getting it away from him. So sort of just like soften him up. I'm like, so we were kind of stretched out. So I was like, all right, elbow, elbow went up right along his arm to his face and I didn't pull back in time. Yeah.
1: That happens.
0: Yeah. I, I, I did feel appropriately bad, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, but uh, back to, uh, back to honor at stake and the whole love at first bite series and everything. Yeah. Um, there's a big backstory, of course, with with Amanda Colt. Well, not just a backstory, but also places where where she goes and where I see her going. Now, just, it, it, it's hard to ask this question because I don't want to give away too much about what happens in the series. Um, okay. But I guess, well, my, I guess my question will be the same for her as for Marco. Where did she come from? I remember you saying that she, her and Marco both started as bit players. Yes. C- clearly, uh, clearly, she also grew. Now, did she grow along with Marco, kind of following the force of his rather large personality? or?
1: Well, they wound up both following similar paths mm-hmm. because, okay, this isn't going to be too much of a spoiler since I'm told their chemistry is kind of obvious in, like, chapter one. Oh, yeah. But they both wind up growing together, in large part because of the fact the effect each has on the other. Mm-hmm. It, it's yes, he's got a large personality, but she affects him in other large ways. That now, well, let's just say that both of them have their own types of damage, and they're both good for each other.
0: Yes, yes,
1: yes. Yeah,
0: so that definitely comes out well for Amanda by the, uh, by the end of the fourth book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And then if I ever get around to doing a sequel series where chapter one is the wedding, um, it will be very interesting to see where it goes from there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I think I emailed you. I have at least one theory <laughs> as for as <laughs> where, where it could conceivably go from there because, uh, I, I, I don't think it uh, gives away too much to say that um, that uh, Merle Craft and his 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 his, uh, his rather evil brother Dolph they they both are heavily heavily involved although Dolph more behind the scenes in the series and how, how Dolph seems yeah. to be helping them even though he should be on the other side. <laughs> yes the full, the full nature of his involvement is i don't it see there's much more to explore there
1: yes there is
0: <laughs> and yeah i'm really really curious to see uh to, to see wh- where where you will take him in the future for um for those inter- interested in the series the the craft brothers are unusual to say the least uh, and it's actually uh, it, by the time you're done, you're still actually not clear exactly what they are, which is part of the fun.
1: Yes. And that's one of the nice things about my style of writing where I just let the characters play because sometimes they do things and it's like, how did you do that? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, fine. I'm just going to be writing the book now. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: let me, let me ask this. Do you know? Do you know exactly what they are yet?
1: I'm tempted to go into the main theme from the Adams Family. They're creepy and they're goofy. No, um, <laughs> no, I don't.
0: Okay, I fair enough. I have
1: some of an explanation here and there, but that's about it.
0: Okay, all right. I am uh, genuinely curious because now I really, now I really want you to get to a sequel series because I want to find out. <laughs> 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 um, now I noticed you. You mentioned that these the started out as all one big novel. Um, yes. What, what yes. made you decide to break
1: it up? One, because I couldn't sell the one big novel. Uh, two, I figured, okay, by the end of the one big novel, these two have taken over to such an extent that I should probably give in, put together some kind of backstory, at least mm-hmm. a little. Mm-hmm. So that grew out of control to such an extent that the first 50 pages of the big book were the last 25 pages of Honor at Stake. And after that, it became, well, if I expand this role, this role, this role, and this role, it turned, you know, our, our next section turns into a whole novel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I'm getting a theme here, <laughs> so it just happened
0: so it wasn't like, like a, say, uh, it, it wasn't a marketing decision it was
1: no no it was a, um, it was a story as decision. I, as i said about my other series the pious trilogy mm-hmm. um it spiraled
0: okay fair enough
1: <laughs> yes and the pious trilogy which is five books long of course uh <laughs> started out as a graduate paper in history and then it spiraled
0: <laughs> Sp- spiraled into a five book trilogy. Well, you officially beat Douglas Adams at his own game, sir. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Hey, I-, I don't get to beat him until I wind up with a uh, post-mortem book releases written by other people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? Yeah. If you, if you reach that level, you know, you've arrived <laughs> because that's, you know, then you're in that rarefied error with, uh, mm-hmm. Adams, Tolkien, Herbert,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I lost track of how many post mortem books Asimov has come out with.
0: Oh yeah, him too. That's right. Yeah, there were a lot. I actually, um, I followed them a lot when I was in uh, when I was in high school and my early days in the Navy and everything. I actually, read. I actually, read just about everything that that I could, at least with the Foundation series, until. There was a uh, they did a prequel trilogy. I f- forget the name of the first book, but it was written written by Greg Bear. And Cal- what's that?
1: Caliban.
0: No, 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 not Caliban. Um, okay. No, this was this was squarely it Foundation was somewhere in the title.
1: Oh, okay. okay.
0: Um, and it wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> And also, yeah. I was like, there were, there's already, like, two f- prequel Foundation books or something at that time. It was, I was yeah. like, why? Oh, Foundation Sphere. Foundation Sphere was the name of the book. And I'm like, you're reaching, you're struggling to wedge in one more prequel series here. Just stop, man.
1: <laughs> oh, trust me. Mel Brooks and The Search for More Money has become a frequent joke when it comes to uh, books like that.
0: <laughs> See, now that's a sequel that actually need, needs to happen.
1: Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they can get President Lone Star back for, you know, <laughs> for for that movie, because why not?
1: <laughs> well, I last time I heard, Mel Brooks is waiting for Rick Moranis to finally come out of retirement and play Dark Helmet again.
0: You know, I would be all I would definitely be all up for that. And you know, if you ask Rick Moranis, technically he's not out of retirement, he's just very picky. He's not not retired, he's just really, really, really picky. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just buy more power to the guy, man. Amen. If he wants to, if he's like, "Eh, I got all the money I need, I'm good. (laughs) This is true. So you've mentioned uh, this other trilogy you've written, uh, the Pious Trilogy, which is five books long. Uh, Now, what is the main premise of that?
1: Well, okay. I am a historian. I I mentioned Mm -hmm. I have a degree in history. I was going for my master's in history when this, you know, annoying little book came out called uh, The Da Vinci Code. (laughs) Right, right. So, to steal from Dorothy Lisa, Dor, no Dorothy Parker, that you know it is not a book to be tossed aside. Likely, it is to be hurled with full force. <laughs> and, I
0: like
1: it. Yeah, I, I was not too happy with um, Brown and Daniel de da Silva at the time because one of the pra- graduate papers I had written was on Pope. Pius the 12th and it's like okay this is bs i can write a better book than this because at the time i had already written several that some of which have not seen the of day yet i'm working on it <laughs> and okay i will write something better because i've got the facts i can do better character development and i started putting it together 800 pages later, uh, I found out that I had a trilogy on my hands and had to go back and break it up, and that turned into a fun little epic.
0: (laughs) And is that on on Amazon as well?
1: That's on Amazon as well. It's also been re-released by uh, Silver Empire. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, Covers are awesome. And... um, Let's just say it starts out as a simple, straightforward action thriller that's incredibly twisted. And then it turns into, well, first we kidnap the Pope, then we invade the Vatican, and hilarity ensues.
0: <laughs> All right, that sounds hilarious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does sound like it's probably
1: a good time. Uh, although to- I
0: No, is it um I- How does it compare in terms of tone with the Love at First Bite series?
1: Well, with uh, the Pious Trilogy, it is less romance,
0: Mm -hmm. more
1: characters, because when I had originally written the novel, Mm -hmm. um, the one big Pious Man novel, uh, it was supposed to come at the end of 13 books where everybody who shows up in a in pious man had already shown up in a previous book then they had to rewrite it so that it was book one of course because Mm -hmm. murphy's law Mm -hmm. and it's more the first book is more of a mystery because it's what the bleep is going on here uh yeah sure this whole hitler's pope thing is a way to sell books for academics in america and a few other places but who starts shooting people over it so that becomes more of a mystery um and then from there it's becomes a political thriller with more bullets than your average political thriller (laughs) and then in book three it takes on a global aspect For everything and the scope is bigger. I guess the the stakes are on par with how honor at stake and love at first bite turns out. But um, With The Pious Trilogy, it's a simple, straightforward build up of how the threat keeps growing and in honor at stake. It's okay we know something is really really bad from the outset now what where and love at first Bike basically has one mystery that it goes throughout all four books okay as opposed to the pious trilogy where it's solve this problem and solve this problem and then solve this problem and hope to survive
0: okay okay now that, that i'm definitely gonna have to check that out as well because well, like I said, I enjoy that. I enjoyed Love at First Bite, so I'm willing to bet that uh, the Pious Man true tr- Quintilogy, <laughs> is that the right word?
1: <laughs> there's actually a trilogy. What there's, and then there's one book of history, and one book of an anth- of an anthology. Ah, okay. So it's really what we have to do is read the so trilogy and the two books. Or
0: okay, All right, fair enough. <laughs> now. Uh, but um back to back to honor at stake. One of the things that I noticed reading it is the world not not this the story assumes that there are in fact just a lot of freaking vampires out there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well considering all right, considering that the main action takes place in basically three places. Right. New York, San Francisco and the sandbox Mm -hmm. in afghanistan iraq it's whole swaths of sand out there and oh look the sun is about to come up we dig six or seven feet down and we stay under the sand for the day Mm -hmm. so there are whole deserts out there where vampires could probably just hang out for the entire day and no one would notice Meanwhile, you go to New York or San Francisco, it's populations of a city. These are cities with populations in millions. You could literally have 10,000 vampires, and it's not... I don't even think it's double digits of the population.
0: No, no, they're so
1: essentially invisible.
0: Unless you're looking for them.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: Which... Marco, Marco, and Amanda do a lot of looking for them.
1: <laughs> this is true, and in both, in both New York and San Francisco. Uh, now, I live in Queens, mm-hmm. which probably explains parts of where the books are set up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where, you know, the joke is we have so many cemeteries that welcome to Queens. This is where New York comes to die. <laughs> but between <Right. laughs> New York, between Queens and Brooklyn. I don't even want to guess at how many people are buried there.
0: <laughs> a fair amount. I, I would imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah. I Let's put it this way. I wound up walking um, the scene for the climax of book one, Mount Olivet Cemetery.
0: Okay.
1: And I appeared, okay. This is going to be a nice little walk. And it's like three hours later, I'm got to the halfway point. Wow. <gasps> yeah. So that's it a was, big cemetery. <laughs> Jeez, it's a really big cemetery. So you could you could probably hide a few hundred vampires there, and nobody'd notice. Well, you are, uh,
0: yeah, and the, the size was well conveyed in that uh, in in the big battles that that take place there. Because yeah, you get the sense that this is this place is freaking huge. It really is. That is nice to know that yeah, it really is. Just that. Just that freaking gigantic. Um, <laughs> now, you uh, in, in the story, werewolves come into play. Um, shapeshifters are referenced. What else exists in this world?
1: Well, and of course, you I'm have the Craft Brothers, whatever they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't ask too close about some of them. Um, <laughs> so far, I am relatively certain we're going to have uh magic users. Okay. And I don't mean the cute, cuddly uh Harry Potter ones, I'm mean, the uh ones that try to kill Harry Dresden on a regular basis. Um, I'm almost certain we're going to have both Tolkien Elves and the Fae. Oh. And yeah, I'm going to try to make sure to keep them both separate because, well, every time somebody wants to talk about using the Fae in a novel, all I can mm-hmm. think is. Nobody's going to make a deal with the Fae, right? Nobody's going to make a, made a deal with the Fae. Well, this guy's an idiot.
0: <laughs> right. So. They're called the Fae. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although so. there are some points where it's like, "Hi, right, cold iron, right?
0: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there you go. No, so so the Fae and elves are going to uh, presumably seem very similar.
1: Like presumably to an
0: outside, to an outside observer <laughs> so so i, I would assume the, the fey would would uh use that to get people to make deals with them
1: oh yes now and of course it's the fey it's how many people are just going to go up how many people would take a deal while you know they're staring at their smartphones it's like so how would you like a deal in which you know, you have unlimited data and they south go, yeah, I'll take that. It's like, because <laughs> Lord knows half the people I nearly hit on a daily basis are busy looking at their smartphones. So I'm almost certain that they could make a deal with them and they wouldn't know what hit them until they're, you know, up to their necks and garbage. <laughs>
0: That's entirely possible. So basically it's sounds like you've got a lot more potentially in store for this For this world
1: yes um it's it's, it's a question of
0: if it's a question of when you get around to writing the sequel series
1: (sighs) yes it it pretty much is not to mention i'm trying to avoid doing something that i wound up with in the pious trilogy Mm -hmm. where as i said the pious trilogy was supposed to be the end of 13 books a lot everybody in different places and everyone wound up coming together um I have now got two other urban fantasy series that I'm working on, mm-hmm. um, both for Silver Empire. And I'm working my darndest to make sure that all three universes, with Love at First Bite, the Pious Trilogy, and my other urban fantasy series, don't all wind up in the same universe. <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: trying to keep them separate. You don't. You don't want a shared universe.
1: Exactly. I'm. Let's just, and I've already got a problem because I have one cop in three universes with the same na- exact name. And I've already got a few observant readers who have caught on already. <laughs> it's like, oh, dear, this wasn't supposed to come out. <sighs> <Maybe. laughs>
0: what, who knows? Um It's a multiverse, and <laughs> somehow he's the cop is... Mm, he's actually a physical incarnation of an angel that monitors the multiverses (laughs) or something.
1: He's actually a, uh, he's actually a living saint who has all the peripheral attributes from bilocation to levitation. And he's trying to figure out, I'm not that good a person. Why does everyone keep not being surprised when I can do this? So (laughs) I, I, I pitched it to silver empire. You know, a cop who is a saint versus a serial killer who is possessed by a demon.
0: Hey, I don't think I've ever ever heard that story, so why not? Something different for a change. Exactly. And, you know, actually, and, you know, and that brings up a thing where I, you know, I, I grew up at least from kind of high school on, on for a few years, uh, reading a lot of comic books. And I noticed that you know, a tendency was basically if it, unless it was a superhero comic book, the bad guy was almost always possessed by a demon, you know, including Hitler. And I actually didn't like that, at least not so much. You know, I'm fine with it being a thing, but with it being a thing all the time, it's like, no, people are pretty screwed up, all can be pretty screwed up without being actively possessed. <laughs>
1: Oh, this is true. This yeah. is true.
0: Yeah, it 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 seems a tendency to, yeah, the devil made me do it sort of thing. It's like, yeah, it's like no, we can have bad people with that aren't possessed. So it's like, let's see more of those stories, just a just a little bit.
1: <laughs> we can Did have both. Read- I'm
0: fine with both. It's just
1: not so much. Yeah. Did you read The Exorcist? I have not. Okay um there are two things about it that are interesting that they usually leave out of the movie okay one is what my family has always appreciated because they are largely people with medical backgrounds Mm -hmm. and in the book william peter blatty covered all the medical tests that they went through right on the possessed, on the possessed yeah and also highlighted that no, this is not just some innocent bystander. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, Oh, look, playing with Ouija boards. No, right? Yeah,
0: don't, don't, don't do that.
1: Don't do the Ouija board. It's kind of like, you know, Parker Brothers Ouija board <laughs> from ages eight and up. Like,
0: yeah, no. once, I, once I learned what a Ouija board actually was, I was like, Why is this a board game in Toys R Us? <laughs> it's like even if you well, don't it's like even if you don't you know buy into any of that at all why is it a board game in Toys R Us it's only a fun game if you buy it if, if you believe in the premise <laughs> otherwise it's <just laughs> really really a stupid waste of time
1: <laughs> yeah but um again pathology. No, yeah and, and frankly it's one of the lines I wound up using in at least Demons are forever, book two,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which by the way comes out next month, um, <laughs> twenty eighteen, and um, you know, if you do not play with occult crap, occult crap does not play with you. <sighs> yes,
0: yes, it seems like that would be simple. <laughs> You'd think, wouldn't it? <laughs> you would, you you yeah. would think so. But it, um, I, I kind of uh, de- derailed. I think the. The, the, the point you were trying to make, unless that was it, the don't mess with occult crap and occult crap won't mess with you. Was Did you, did you have something else Correct. you were tra- trying to draw out of uh, The Exorcist, the actual novel?
1: Um, well, It's a bit hard to read our copy because everyone has borrowed it so much that <laughs> it's like, I have to read this very carefully before it disintegrates on me. Oh, and geez. We actually had uh, yeah, to toss the family copy and we haven't replaced it yet because, well, the cover fell off, the back fell off. And yep. I... Yep. The is missing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm on my I'm on my second copy of a couple of the Lord of the Rings books now, and <laughs> because yeah. that gets read a lot, it gets read with the kids, and yeah, it's uh, they, they they do disintegrate after a while.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, a lot of things in well to go with the point of don't play with a called crap um i actually am friends with one or two people who converted from paganism and uh let's call it witchcraft um because some of these people don't know enough to know that it's witchcraft and see our quotes right and i wound up using some of that especially in book four because there was at least one or two of the protagonists who again she went her own way. Yes. I don't yes. like this way she's gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I actually um Yeah, that uh, that particular character. Um I found I kinda saw her in I kind of saw the way she goes coming. <laughs> like as as soon as it got to where they were going and well, uh, she was who she was. I was like, "Oh no, I, I know what's going to happen here. This is not going. This is not going to be good." <laughs> and sure enough, yeah. it wasn't even a little bit good
1: for that poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is sad. I I liked her at first, and then okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it seems to follow. Uh, it seems to follow Marco's uh, trajectory on that. liked her at first and (laughs) kind of becomes like why are you here
1: (laughs) yeah trust me at that point in the writing it's like pity i've already published other books otherwise i go back and write this person out i can fix that
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we can we can come up with a creative way that actually made sense within the story to write her out thank you and and yeah again that's it and you know it makes sense because it's like, yeah, I think I know what's going to happen here, and yeah, sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, and it was it was horrible. I did feel bad for her, I did, just a little bit. I mean, it was she did a stupid thing. Though <laughs> uh, it was interesting, she realized she did a stupid thing before well, I... before she was uh, written out. Uh, <laughs> she did she didn't realize that what she did was stupid.
1: <laughs> yes, I tried to. I went, Every time I have a character who's fleshed out enough, mm-hmm. uh, they usually wind up at least trying to be repentive. That's one of the reasons why I don't hold on to a lot of bad guys. Because, yes, they become flesh and blood people. They And they're smart enough to be redeemed. And in some cases, it's like, you know what? You have to be re- an unredeemable bastard. Die! <laughs> um, so
0: we have to kill I, you before you become Venom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh lord, that's wow! That's a whole lot of history there. <laughs> so you said venom. It's like, so do we want to go with when he was lethal protector, or when he went crazy again, or when he wound up jumping five hosts, or the current movie?
0: <laughs> I was th- I was thinking lethal protector era, personally,
1: but <laughs> yes, yeah, that back, back when he was interesting
0: yeah yeah exactly i have i i have no idea what happened when he became uh when flash thompson became the host and everything i don't know what happened there other than that he was a government agent but
1: <laughs> i didn't even look
0: yeah like... that's that's literally all i know <laughs>
1: yeah but anyway, we're just
0: about uh we're just about out of time here so do you have any other uh any other projects in the works that we should know about or uh, if you wanted a chance to elaborate on none of the other uh, podcasts or other endeavors that you uh, mentioned at the beginning.
1: Well, um, with projects I've got going on, I've got my convention murders series, which involves it was only on stun and set to kill. <laughs> um, I have to come up with a third one now for a long story uh, the pious trilogy all mm-hmm. five books of it um i've got a dystopia series that was also nominated for a dragon award oh, nice. uh, last year um i believe it's called i believe of, of the five series we wound up talking about with my and uh, me and my uh, co-author talked about we settled on the last survivors book one is codename winterborn and two is codename unsub hold on i've got four vampire books coming out this year <laughs> honored stake demons are forever <sighs> live and let bite good to the last drop and yep. the pious trilogy <laughs> <laughs> two dystopias two murder mysteries and we got a whole slew of anthologies coming out from superversive press oh nice so yes um i'm in several of their planetary anthologies I was in their once in Future King anthology, and um, if you're into politics, I was into MAGA 2020 and beyond. Where <laughs> actually, the short story I put there huh? is an extension of Beloved First Bite universe.
0: Oh no, kidding! Uh,
1: so uh, yeah, now, mainly because now, now I've
0: got to go get that.
1: <laughs> cool. My work here is done. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm serious. Actually, by the by, by, shortly after we're done, I will probably log on to Amazon to see if I can find that.
1: <laughs> okay, but yeah, I, I've got 14, 15 novels. I'm now at the point where I will have to keep a flowchart. <laughs> I'm of half afraid of. Okay, so how many connections do I have between these three universes I have here? Uh, before it becomes, and can you anything? keep
0: them separate? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, the next step is, okay, the anti-monitor comes in and they all come together.
0: Oh, (laughs) no goodness, no. (laughs) (laughs) No anti-monitor, no Beyonder, no. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Oh, man. All right, well, hey, uh, Declan, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about uh, Love at First Bite and Pious Man Trilogy, and it sounds like there is just a ton of stuff that is that is coming out that will probably be brand new for a lot of people. So, you know, best of luck with getting all of that going.
1: Thank you very much. And I'll be sure to get you copies of the, uh, Saint detective series that comes out in September.
0: Oh man. I look, I'll, I'll look forward to that. Now, would that be, now, is that the, uh, is that the aforementioned cop that you, that, that, yes, okay. Ooh, that that's going to be fun. Okay. Um, Now, one more time for the people watching and listening at home, where can we best find you?
1: Um, On my blog, declanfin.com. almost everything goes through there. Um, My Twitter is DeclanfinBooks, and you can find me on Facebook, Gab.ai.ai and Mm -hmm. me.
0: Oh, you're on MeWe? Okay. I haven't checked that out yet myself. Yes, but. Uh,
1: I'm not as settled on We as I am on everything else, but it's relatively new anyway.
0: Right, right. Okay, well, great. Thank Again, thank you again. Uh, it's been a really cool chat. I hope everyone else watching has uh, enjoyed it at least half as much as I have, and that they'll definitely go and buy at a minimum Honor at Stake. And hopefully they'll get hooked in from there. Uh, One more time for everybody, you can follow me on Twitter at Gingerman Editorial. And, of course, you can go to the Catholic Reads website at catholicreads.com for uh, reviews on Declan's books and a whole host of others, including books by his publisher, uh, Russell Newquist. So go and check that out.
1: And we will see you next time.